0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier Early and ad-free. Right now, join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Why? Uh, Anderson Cooper, former guest on this podcast, was kind enough to volunteer to host an event uh, at the 92nd Street Y in Manhattan with me and also with Jeff Warren, with whom I wrote a new book called Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. Initially, the event was going to be a small thing, just like 300 people, but the, a lot of people bought tickets, and um, they just announced that they're putting it in a bigger hall with 600 more seats, so we got a bunch of tickets at this point. So if you're into it, go to 92y.org, 92y.org, and you can get tickets there, and uh, it's at 5 o'clock on Sunday, January 14th. Me, Jeff Warren, Anderson Cooper should be cool. Um, all right, enough... Um, flogging of that event i want to tell you about my guest this week who is awesome (laughs) really awesome uh i'm going to read you the first paragraph of his wikipedia entry Uh, wikipedia sometimes is wrong but i think this is generally right Uh, james altucher is an american hedge fund manager entrepreneur best-selling author venture capitalist and podcaster he has founded or co-founded more than 20 companies including Reset, Inc., and Stockpicker, and says he failed at 17 of them. He's published 11 books, and he's a frequent contributor to publications, including The Financial Times, TheStreet.com, and TechCrunch. So, J- Basically, James's story is amazing. He has made and lost several fortunes. I mean, big fortunes. He's a really... Uh, as he's, as you'll hear him say, he's really good at making a bunch of money. Not great at keeping it. Um, but through this and, – and then w- w- after having all these ups and downs in his business career, he's become sort of an unlikely self-help guy who writes all these books and has this uh, great podcast. And, in fact, I'm we're doing a little bit of a swap here, so I'm, I'll be on his podcast around the time that we're posting this. Um, and you should check it out because he had lots of great guests anyway. And he's just a quirky – incredibly smart guy who has a long history of meditation. But I was actually, I've known him for a couple of years. I've been on his uh, podcast many times and during that whole time, he never actually mentioned to me that he had a pretty deep history with meditation. His little story about how he discovered it as an adolescent is hilarious. You'll hear that pretty quickly at uh, when the interview gets started. Um, uh, so I didn't know that he he's, he not only has been practicing for a while, but he actually has taught, Meditation. So there are a lot of reasons to check out James Altucher, but the meditation thing is, is, is uh, a big one uh, and a surprise to me. Also, uh, what comes out in the course of this uh, interview is that he's got a new stand-up comedy thing, which comes out of nowhere but is also awesome. So uh, without any further ado, here he is, James Altucher. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Nice to see you again.
1: Dan, such a pleasure being on your podcast. You've been on my podcast twice now. My first visit to your excellent
0: <laughs> podcast. Well, they, we've, then we've got to make you a regular. I know. We have I'm, to have parody. Have me back. Uh, so I have so many things I want to talk to you about, but let me just start with the perennial question, which is how and when and why did you start meditating? Uh, well,
1: you want me to tell you the answer, the real answer? Yes. Of course you want me to tell you the answer. So I was 12 years old, and have I ever told you this story? No. So I was 12 years old. And I hope you're not, your audience is not offended, but I wanted to see, What well, I mean, I was 13. I wanted to see girls naked. And so I figured if I learned how to astral project out of my body, I could travel around my town invisibly <laughs> and find, you know, whatever. So
0: I, I've had more, I just want to say it quickly, I've had more than 100 guests on this podcast and I always ask this question, this is the best, you haven't even finished yet, this is the best answer I've had yet. So carry on.
1: Well, you know, there was all these like pop psychic sort of books, like Mm -hmm. you know, in the bookstore, Walden books or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I would buy these books and not show my parents what I was buying. And they would be like, "How to astral project out of your body, or how to do this and that." And uh, uh, I started doing all the techniques that they would recommend. And it was over time I realized, oh, all of these techniques are actually meditation techniques. They're just pretending. You know, it was all. These were all BS sort of books. They were all pretending that oh, you could if you do these techniques, you're going to astral project out of your body. Your your spiritual body is going to leave your physical body, and you could do whatever you want with it. And um, uh but as I started reading more about, let's say, Buddhism and Taoism and Zen and and so on, I, I was thinking to myself, oh, these are all the exact. They're just borrowing from these techniques that are like two thousand, three thousand years old, and on a regular basis, then. I would meditate, uh, and I started doing it for decades. I mean, I've even given given meditation retreats and and so on. I mean, I've I've never really stopped doing
0: it. Given like led meditation retreats yeah. or actually attended them.
1: Uh, led really? So yeah, I was at Kripalu, you know, some of these some of these other places. So uh, just because I've 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 done so many different forms of meditation at this point, uh, I've given up on the astral projection goal. I. <laughs> I gave up on that by ages of fourteen <laughs> or fifteen. But I just got really into uh meditation and its and its benefits.
0: So you know, we've talked twice at length, and I don't think I actually this is a shame on me. I actually don't think I understood the depth of your practice. Yeah, and I think
1: um in general, uh I mean we have it's not it's not like agenda driven, but you've done a great benefit to the world by explaining how we through 10% happier and your app and your podcast and so on, how meditations benefited you and how it could benefit others. For, for, for me, it's been always something, um, I haven't really, uh, shared. There was no reason for me to, to really share it other than like, you know, give classes or retreats on occasion. And, uh, uh, and I've also always explored or experimented with different varieties and to see what I could learn from different types of meditation, and up to it including prayer, which I consider a form of meditation. And uh, and then also I've I've played around with, at different times, not meditating, but seeing how the benefits of meditation I can kind of sort of pour over the entire day instead of, you know... Kind of the one hour. So meditation is, of course, people call it a practice, but practice for what? It's practice for the other twenty-three hours of the day. So I, I have different periods where I wouldn't meditate because I wanted to see if that practice took and if I could get the benefits uh, during the day without necessarily spending the hour. So I've tried every. I've tried every way you can slice it. Uh,
0: what what. So starting at age 13, setting aside the fact that the astral projection didn't work, what kind of benefits did accrue?
1: You know, there are so many types of benefits people attribute to meditation, but I would say the most important for me was an emotional one, which is to realize that, to realize when my intentions and when my brain were going in different directions. So if my in- tension during the day was to be a good and kind and present person but my brain was like going down some rabbit hole of either anxiety or some discussion I had that made me upset or whatever to being able to catch that as quickly as possible and say okay I caught that I was going down that angry rabbit hole and I'm just going to bring myself back to the present and realize that you know everything is all for for the good and you know, being able to catch yourself, which is what you do nonstop in a, in a period of meditation, being able to do that all day long has, for me, been the overriding benefit. But then there are different types of meditation depending on what you need. Like sometimes you want to practice loving kindness sort of meditation just to bring that into your life, or you want to practice more visualization to for various reasons, so that you can you can target to some extent. But the kind I like the most is always being able to catch my thoughts and be more present and realize realizing at a deeper level how separate i am from my thoughts and how the real me is different from that kind of non-stop stream of thoughts that happen but i think there's there's some confusion in meditation where people think oh on an extreme they can get enlightenment or uh like i was when i was 13 you can get some kind of power or some sort of weird benefit from it and i think that's uh, i i call that uh mad attention instead
0: of meditation where
1: <laughs> you're just like kind of going on and on in your head without realizing what's really happening in meditation
0: so most of what we when you said talked about catching your thoughts um i'm just imagining so most of what your meditation practice looks like now is you try to focus on one thing at a time maybe your breath or or uh, a visualization and then when you get distracted you notice oh these are just thoughts, or urges, or emotions. Yeah. So, so uh,
1: you know, there's. Uh, I think in yoga style meditation, there's very much the focus on like one thing, the single-minded focal point. And I would say more types of uh, Zen or Vipassana are more um, breath and body focus. And I, I tend to do more of that. Um, uh, but I think I, I think for me that's the best because then you could say, okay, I'm no longer thinking about the breathing. I'm thinking about something else. Back to the breathing.
0: What's interesting to me about you, and there's a there's a lot that's interesting to me about you. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, vice versa, uh, the, the the you would one could maybe assume that a uh, somebody who starts meditating at 13 or 14 would have a very placid life. But your biography is. There are lots of ups and downs in the yeah. life that you went on to lead post age 14. And, and l- let's just talk a little bit about that and then get to how meditation did or did not help. But you've you've kind of made and lost fortunes at least twice, right?
1: Yeah. Twice is the 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 low point. It's depending on where the bar is, but uh, maybe it's more like four or five times.
0: So so I haven't been
1: very – I've been very good with money and not very good with money.
0: Yeah. Tell me about the first one. So the first one was you had a dot-com company in the 90s?
1: So so I had a company that made websites for other uh, companies. So I would make uh, websites – for every entertain, almost every entertainment company out there.
0: and But we should say, this is in the 90s before websites were like anybody can make a website.
1: Oh yeah, part of the challenge for me was at that time convincing American Express they needed it in AmericanExpress.com. Convincing HBO they needed it at HBO.com. That was part of the, nobody knew what this internet thing was. So, but I made, um, you could probably tell by the way I look, uh, I made the websites for almost every gangster rap record label. <laughs> Uh, people know, can't
0: see you so <laughs> I, now I'm going to have to describe you You let's just suffice it to say you don't look like a gangster gangster rapper
1: right so, at all so, but I did Bad Boy Google Records Loud Records The Source Magazine um, Interscope uh, all, all of their websites and uh, uh, I sold that company when I realized oh kids in junior high school are learning how to make websites so this business is going to fundamentally change made all the right decisions and then I just I didn't know I didn't know how to have money, and I just blew it all, like, every dime of it. Like, I bought the biggest place I could buy. I started uh, playing a lot of poker. I got obsessed with
0: poker. Uh, uh, I read in a – there's a great article about you in the New York Times about a year or so ago. It said you used to take helicopters down to Atlantic City.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Friday, I finished work at 5 by six o'clock, I'd be in the casino, and I wouldn't leave the casino for forty-eight hours, and then I would take a helicopter back. And you were married at the time, right? And I was married at the and, time. And
0: Your wife put up with this.
1: She thought I, she did put up with it. To her credit, she thought at least she knew where I was. I was in. She could always find me. I was in the casino, or or you know, on Twenty Fifth Street there was the Mayfair Club in New York City. So she always knew where I was. I just wasn't home. <laughs> so. Uh, and
0: so you blew all the money this way
1: i I, I didn't blow it all playing poker i, I i'm a, I, I enjoy playing games and um always try to get better at them. Um, but I did blow it all by uh making poor investments at the time. I really did not i thought you kind of think when you make money that oh, that must mean I'm a genius somehow, <laughs> and so I just started investing in everything. And I would invest in the stupidest businesses. I didn't know anything about real estate. I bought, you know, a huge place and 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 redid the whole thing. And then I just I just simply I remember I I literally went to about a hundred forty three dollars in my bank account Whoa. after having millions. And and then it was it was it was horrible because we I lost the apartment and I did get very depressed. Uh, around this time, uh, my father got sick, he had a, he had a stroke and, uh, I felt like if I had had this money, I would have been able to help find, you know, medical help, better medical help for him instead of just wherever he ended up. Uh, and I don't know, I just felt really bad for a long time and I built up another company, sold that, bought a big house again <laughs> and I lost all, all the money making stupid investments again. And you know and then there were
0: just a couple of times like that. So <laughs> Okay, so many questions. Um the, the when you got depressed uh or when you were manic on the upside and when you were depressed on the downside, did the meditation not help with any of this in any way? I mean well, clearly you were resilient enough during the periods of depression to start a new business and and come back.
1: Yes. So so first I want to I want to address the first sentence you said there, which is the, you know the the combination of depression and, and manic in one line sort of implies bipolar. I definitely was not uh, uh, bipolar in any sense because I've had close family members who have It and it's a very uh, serious illness. When someone's bipolar, you you see it. because like, it's, it's horrible. Yes. Um, but I certainly was aggrandizing myself when I had money and depressed when I lost it. And um, uh, I think... I think what meditation did for me then, and again, there's no, there's no real. You don't want to attribute any real benefit to meditation. It's sort of done, and we don't really know how we would be if we don't do it. But uh, uh, I would say the resilience was really important for me. I'd never allowed myself to completely, ca- even when I was depressed. I could say to myself, "Okay, I'm depressed, but I have to do." two or three things today to move my life forward. I, At the worst case, I had to do one thing a day to move my life forward. And to recognize that, okay, I'm so depressed, I don't feel like getting out of bed, uh, but I have to get out of bed to do one thing forward. I had two children, I wanted to make sure my life was better than it was at the time. And although I think the, the depression and feeling of failure, probably did suck a lot of energy out of me. I still wanted to make sure I moved forward every single day. And how do you move forward? Well, you make sure you move around, like literally, like you walk around and and make sure your body moves. You make sure you're around as good as people as you can, because that's one way, that's the easiest way to fail, is to be around the wrong people. You want to make sure you're a little bit creative each day because then you're creating something new in the world and you're practicing that creativity. And then there's a spiritual component, which is could be meditation for some people, could be prayers for others, could be affirmations for others, could be AA for others and, and so on.
0: Did did the, did the marriage survive the ups and downs?
1: No, the marriage did not. So not not because she would say, oh, you're a, a loser or anything, although I don't know, maybe she thought that. But uh, I think we just my volatility of my financial volatility and my, you know, stress through these situations or or anxiety, uh, were enough to kind of distance ourselves that, you know, eventually we, we, we it didn't survive that. But um, you know, and then you ask like well or well, or I could ask, well could meditation help that? Uh I think I also had very dis- different type of spiritual discipline than she did, and in the beginning, it, it didn't matter as much, and later on, it probably did a little bit more. Um, but, uh, but again, med- what meditation did help is that in in those areas, is that even going through a divorce, you're going there's there's no easy divorce. It's there's always something that happens that's tumultuous. But I was able to kind of at least every day um, say, okay. I can't be obsessing on this. I'm catching myself, being obsessed on this. I'm going to pull back to again, what can I do to move forward in these different areas of my life that are that, are, that I actually value um, m- maybe at that point more than the marriage. So
0: So you, you talked about two cycles of boom and bust. The first was the, the website business and then you a, a second business that you built in the ashes of that. And then you lost that again.
1: Yeah, I mean, there were a couple of businesses. There were many businesses I built and that failed. But there was another business that I built and and sold, but then lost that money. Um, How many times
0: did you go through this? Maybe
1: from top to bottom, like fully, like three, four times. And then maybe medium up to pretty low. A couple times after that,
0: now are you off that hamster wheel now, or have you uh, are...
1: i think I'll, I think I'm off that hamster wheel although you don't you don't know until it's all over, but I think you know there's three skills to money there's there's making it, there's keeping it, there's growing it and i I did happen to be pretty good at making it, but keeping it and growing it, I was horrible at, and I think now I'm better at um keeping it and growing it and I've demonstrated that to myself
0: over the past few years. how did you end up becoming uh, i guess for lack of a better term a self-help writer.
1: I think I so so I don't like the phrase self-help writer because uh neither do I. Yeah. Right, because I don't I don't feel you're I think you and I are similar in the sense that we wrote a book uh telling our story and then and then what we did to solve the problems that happened and people could make use of that story however they want. So I I've written a couple of books telling my stories, my ups and downs and it's just my I love writing and I love writing this story and my story and people I always say this is not advice for anyone. This is just what I did. So take from it what you will.
0: And so what so you say it's not advice but what are the lessons that you impart generally speaking to people?
1: Yeah, so so I mean there's
0: it's over a couple of different books but
1: uh, so each book has something kind of different. By the but, way, this is a
0: plug-friendly zone, so just go ahead and name the books. People well, will want to know.
1: Well, uh, I would say Choose Yourself and Reinvent Yourself are my two main books out of out of 18 that I've 18? written. 18? Yeah. And uh, those, I would say the first six were really bad. Ignore all of those. <laughs> and then it's kind of spotty after that, but Choose Yourself and Reinvent Yourself were pretty good. And, um, and I'm being just honest about it. No, that. I love it. <laughs> and uh, uh, I would say... I learned very much the importance of no matter what's happening in your life, at the end of the day, just run down the checklist. Did you do something to improve ever so slightly your physical health, your emotional health, your mental slash creative health, and your spiritual health? So if you can do that, even if it was just 1% improvement, however you quantify that, you had a good successful day. And the best predictor of a successful tomorrow is a successful today. And then uh, the other book that I'm proud of, "Reinvent Yourself," because we all at different periods, uh, including you, we go through through reinvention. And I, I you know, and a, lot, a lot of that is based on people I've interviewed and stories I've learned through my podcast and so on. But I kind of found commonalities in how how one reinvents yourself, and the most important being you You kind of find a a a plus equal minus a plus is someone who is your either a mentor or a virtual mentor, like books you read and and people you study uh the equals are people who are aspiring to reinvent themselves alongside of you and you learn from each other and then the minus is you can't fully reinvent yourself unless you can easily explain to others what you're doing and uh you know it's important to always you know teach what you learn so then that really informs yourself uh, it, it, concisely what what is it that i'm learning and and you handle kind of you get back to beginner's mind of what sorts of questions i used to ask and now people are asking me so that plus minus equal are, are key to to reinventing yourself
0: so what is your sort of i, get, I we can both agree we don't like the term self help but let's just just let's use it just cuz people understand it but what is your Self help empire look like these days. You you have a website. I know you have a podcast. You've got books. What else is going on in this? Ra- you have other things you do in, that are completely un- disconnected. But in this area, what do you have?
1: Yeah, so I have a, I have a, a website that has links to all my blog posts. I've pro- probably written like three thousand articles in the past seven years, uh, and, and you know lots of books. And I have a podcast that I'm very proud of. We and the podcast is focused on peak performance. So I've had, I've had you on the podcast. I've had many uh, other uh, very successful people on the podcast. And I always ask them, how did you do it? And, and we explore all the different ways one, one reaches or achieves uh, a better performance in their lives. Uh, I have various newsletters that, uh, so it's kind of a, a side business, uh, but I have various newsletters that uh, I have a free newsletter that contains the, my articles every day, and that's how I have the most subscribers. But and the podcast, of course, is free. But then I have some for-pay newsletters where I have a team of people helping me. You know, here's how to be a better entrepreneur. Here's how to be a better investor, and we do uh, research and 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 uh, interviews and so on to, to give high value for those.
0: So it's basically a, another company that you've built yes. for yourself.
1: Yeah. And
0: that company does does very well. Um, and, but, and this time, you're not spending all the money. No, in that's right. right.
1: I'm trying to, but but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I probably won't. Um, <laughs> actually, he- I'm not trying to. There's actually nothing that that like think about it. What can you? People always think they want money so they could buy things. What do? You, what would you actually buy if you had a lot of money? I mean, I'm assuming you have a good amount. But uh, if you had like a hundred million dollars, what would you
0: buy? What? Would, how would your lifestyle change? I don't, you know, I guess I would not work as hard. I think I'd probably still work pretty hard. Yeah, you would still work very hard. Yeah. Um, and I think probably I'd get some houses in some beautiful places, and then I would get really involved in philanthropy probably. Okay,
1: so the philanthropy is, you know, that doesn't change your lifestyle, except all well, it does, it makes you feel charitable, you do charitable events yeah. and so on. There's lots of ways to do charity, of course, with, with or without money. The houses just stay stay at airbnbs you could stay in the best places in the world for a fraction of the cost it is to buy them and literally you could stay in castles all around the world without having to buy them and just you know move around in them so you don't really need to buy the houses your your, your actual lifestyle and you and like you said you would probably work just as hard or almost as hard so your actual lifestyle wouldn't change that much i think i think the society's relationship with money has changed now that we live in an economy where you kind of have access to most things that you could possibly want
0: although i think i think i sometimes fantasize about what my ideal daily life would be and it would i'd be in control of my schedule i would sleep as late as i want i would exercise for as long as i want then meditate for a while a, while, a good long while and then have lunch with somebody I really like and then maybe work for a few hours in the afternoon and then hang out with my wife and kid at night. So I can't do that now because I'm not really in charge of my own schedule. I'm going to question this just a little bit. Yeah.
1: You have a voice that's very relevant in our society, yeah. you know, in, between all the different programs and podcasts and everything you do. Do you think you would miss the relevance of your voice if you're only working a, a, a for, you know, you maybe even judge a tiny bit Your self-worth, depending on how much people listen to you and pay attention to you. So that's unrelated to money. And I think you would still value that
0: in your life. I would. I think my my ego is too, too uh, strong to walk away from the platforms
1: and ego self-deprecating, you also—I'm you, sure you have—you you have valuable things to say. It's ten percent happier. Yeah, you're sitting
0: in a room where we've plastered my logo all over the place. Which so a, it's a logo, sign. but it's also
1: a mission statement. Yes, that's so. true.
0: So I think I would do a lot of work, but I would have more control over like the pace of my life, and I would, uh, yeah, I, I, that's what I think. And maybe I would live in a place where. Uh, if I had a hundred million dollars, where I, I would have my own gym in the building or something, and my own really awesome meditation room, I think there are some things I would. I, I w- my my grandfather used to say. Rich or poor, it's nice to have money. So uh, for me, I mean, I think if I had that amount of money, I'd probably do some things that were nice for me with it. But so, it, I'm, I'm it doesn't make me unhappy not to have it, though. Right.
1: And I'm, and I'm absolutely certain you could you could live – in New York City, every building has a gym in it. So yeah. you could yeah. pretty, either live in a gym or live across the street from one. Um, so, yeah, so you need to – basically you need to have an extra, one extra tiny room that's a meditation room or a big closet, a slightly bigger closet that's your meditation room.
0: Look, don't mistake this for complaining. I consider myself to be one of the luckiest homo sapiens who has ever walked this planet. So you asked me to fantasize about $100 million. That's why we went down this right. rabbit hole.
1: But it, But you see how hard it is to actually – Find something that requires a hundred million. All you really needed to it, is a bigger closet.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. So, and and, and for the people listening who struggle with money, the point is not that you should denigrate a living wage. You, we all deserve a living wage. We all need to have enough to 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 have the basics. But studies show that past a certain point in income, I believe it's like seventy thousand right. dollars. Actually, happiness does not increase in any pro- proportional way.
1: And I think, I think, again, like even in our society now, which let's call it for like they they refer to Uber and Airbnb and so on as the shared economy. It's really more of an access economy. And if you think about it, particularly in New York City and many other major cities, you you can order on Grubhub or Seamless a meal created by a world class chef. It's delivered to you. It's delivered to your home. You could watch on your big screen TV, which almost costs, you know, next to nothing now. Uh, you can watch a two hundred million dollar production created by HBO called Game of Thrones, or whatever you want to call it, and you can have the and you can do this on your couch. You can have this amazing experience that ne- that is worth three hundred million dollars or whatever, just delivered right to you for almost nothing.
0: So you actually dove into this. You you took this thesis to a pretty far uh, extent uh, when you basically went homeless for a little while. Yeah, and it's funny.
1: So I'll, I'll tell the story in a second. But the it was in the um, I, I wrote about it but it was also in the New York Times. And then the next day, my daughter, uh, all her friends were coming up to her like on the school playground and saying, "Josie, is your is your daddy homeless?" <laughs> and she had to come into the city to make sure I was okay. But uh, at one point, I decided, you know what, I don't really want to own anything other than what fits in. A carry-on bag. Why? I, I think I just wanted to try it. Um, but of course, it's something once you try, you can't really go back completely. Because I, what I did was, I had a friend of mine go to uh, the house I was renting, but I was staying in an Airbnb in, in the city at the time. I had her go to the, the house and throw out everything. So I, I said to her, I'm never going to this house again, and because uh, the lease was up. And I said, I just, I never want to see any of the objects in this house again.
0: But this is, this is gonna, this sounds like just with with all due respect, is a little kooky? Yes, a little kooky. <laughs> Maybe more than a little.
1: Maybe, I don't know. I, I've never, um, I haven't like analyzed why I've done it, but, uh, well, this, is, this is a good place to do it. Yes, we'll, we'll do it here. <laughs> so, uh, so, so my friend, her name's Lisa, she, she and her family literally took like an 18 wheeler truck up to this house. And, and I she had a mission, which is either give everything away, keep anything you want, sell anything or throw anything out that you can't do the above three. did
0: you convince her to do this? But well, I guess there was something in in it for her.
1: Well, and, and the, yeah, the keeping it or selling it. Um, I, I think, I think they did keep the, the bed. It was a very nice, very nice mattress. Um, maybe some dishes or whatever. And there was some, some artwork in there worth, worth selling, um, uh, I said, don't call me throughout this entire process, but she called. Where were you? Um, I was here in the city staying and I was living, my, my house that I was renting was about 60 miles north. And uh, So where were you staying during this period of time? During, in an Airbnb.
0: Okay. And you say there was no big dramatic moment that led to this decision, it was just kind of like a mini, an experiment?
1: Yeah, I'm, I, I, the lease was up and I was trying to figure out what do I do? Uh, do I extend the lease? Do I keep renting? But I'm in Airbnbs a lot in the city. And so I figured I'm going to just make my decision-making permanently easier. And uh, and and there there's some theory that as you throw things out or get rid of the possessions, you might feel freer. I didn't know whether this would be true or not, but I wanted to try it. Uh, but the only time it took, I thought it would take one day. Because no, I think everybody underestimates how many possessions they have. Mm. It took her seven days of back and forth every single day to fully get rid of. Because you don't realize, oh, you have six pairs of sheets. You have uh, uh, all these dishes and books and TV screens and computer screens and s- stuff in your closet that's been buried there for 10 years or or maybe 30 years because you've been carrying around stuff with you from place to place. So I said to her don't call me up once during this process cuz I don't want to make any decision and one point she did call me and she said you know are you sure you want your your diploma is nicely framed you know you worked so hard for it she was assuming are you sure you want me to <laughs> to throw it out and I said I am never I have not even thought about my diploma since the day I graduated college I certainly will never need it again for the rest of my life you could just throw it right in the fireplace Um and then a little bit harder were were, you know, I had photo albums for when I was a kid of pictures of me as a kid and my parents and family and so on. And even harder than that were my What did you do with that? Did you throw So everything was I kept nothing.
0: whole wheat, pita pockets, and more. I'm constantly uh, consuming these 365 products, including the the raw cashews, which I snack on all the time. We love the 365 sea salt and pepper. Uh, we love their sushi rice. You get the picture. Go check it out. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Did you digitize any of the pictures? No, nothing. Zero. Wow.
1: And uh, uh, maybe even a little harder than that was I had several... Um, uh, Star Trek dolls that I had kept around since I was a little kid. Uh, I had some nice artwork. Uh, and uh, I had an original. Um, I had this great sketch. You remember the TV show Underdog?
0: The the cartoon? Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: So I had the original sketch that I think the creator's name is uh, Joe Harris. I forget his name now. But I had his original sketch when he pitched the show to Network TV. And so I had the original sketch of that, which was... I, I had it right behind my desk at the time because I thought it symbolized my own underdog mm. feeling. So I don't know what happened to that. Uh, so she
0: sold all this stuff, presumably.
1: I actually don't know what she sold, what she gave away, what she – I never asked her. But by the end of it, I had no possessions left except what was in my bag. So I had essentially like one outfit, a pair of, pair of shoes, maybe another outfit, uh, toothbrush, and kind of that's about it. Uh, I had a Kindle and a laptop. And
0: a phone. Okay. But I got rid of the Kindle. And you still don't have a sense of like why you were really doing this?
1: Uh, well, I know a little bit was to make decision-making easier, because now I didn't have to figure out what to do with seven days' worth of 18-wheeler trucks going back and forth. I, all those possessions I didn't have to ever think about yeah, ever but wasn't again. it
0: easier to have a house with all that stuff in it than to figure out day-to-day where you're going to be staying?
1: Well, the other thing was I loved staying in... Different places. I for for a long time I had been staying in Airbnbs anyway. Uh, I was traveling and I was staying in different areas of New York City, and I had most of my business was and activities were in New York City. Like when I do a podcast, just just like you, I did it in person. I was having lots of uh, podcast interviews in person, so it was all the time in the city anyway. So I was staying in Airbnbs, and I didn't really need the house. So if I didn't really need the house. I didn't really need anything in the house. I hadn't seen any of these things in a while. And I figured I never really need to see these things again. It wasn't really going to change my life that much if I never saw these things again. And uh, I decided I would just stay in Airbnbs because when you stay in an Airbnb, it comes fully furnished. Everything you could possibly need Including towels. I always think of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, like you app you the one thing they need when they're hitchhiking around the galaxy is a towel. I didn't need a towel because <laughs> in the Airbnbs there were always towels. Uh so I just had I just had with me I would try to be very disciplined, no more than like let's say fifteen items. You know, so let's say two outfits, a laptop and the phone and, you know, tooth toothbrush. And uh and that was about it.
0: And did it make you feel
1: lighter? Uh I actually don't think so. (laughs) So I think, um, you know, because it's hard work to move around from Airbnb to Airbnb. And, you know, I always had to be looking what's the latest listings and, you know, know, where would I be staying next? And there was a lot of thought involved in that. And so sometimes I would arrange to stay in places for longer and longer periods of time so I didn't have to think about the Airbnb stuff. It did make my decision-making lighter in terms of, you know, what I'm, what I'm buying. So if I bought a, a shirt, I would, I hate to say this, but I would get rid of the shirt I was wearing and I would buy a new shirt. And I didn't do that too much, but or if I bought a coat and then it was suddenly summer, I would leave the coat in whatever Airbnb I was moving from. So, cause I wouldn't need, I knew I wouldn't need another coat for a few more months. So.
0: So would you write this off as a failed experiment?
1: No, I don't know what, What's a failed experiment? Like, what's a failed experiment for you? How would you define that? What's an example,
0: failed experiment? Uh, Well, I guess I see where you're going with this, that it, it may not have been the way you want to live permanently, but you learn things in the process.
1: Yeah, I mean, I learned a lot. Here's one thing I learned. People always ask, people always said to me afterwards, uh, oh, this must have been so freeing. Um, and I didn't really feel more free in any way. Uh, and it turns out that, you know, have not having things is almost as much a, a possession as having things. Well,
0: it so, became part of your, like a heavy part of your identity?
1: It became a part of my identity and it also um, gave me, you know, sometimes you need things, you know, that you want to have. Uh, you want more than two T-shirts in your bag. Yeah. I had to do laundry a lot. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, I think there, and, you know, so, and other people asked me, uh, do, you know, did you ever feel sad? And uh, I said, "Sure, I felt sad a lot. I gave up all these photographs, you know, of my childhood. I gave up uh, even photographs of my own children. Although some of those I had or, because so much, so many ca- photographs now are, are you take with a digital camera, so they they just are in your camera all the time. And I missed that underdog sketch. I and mean, there were many things that I missed. I, had, I missed all my books. I had thousands of books. Mm. Um, I had." thousands of comic books, I loved, I collected comic books as a kid, so I kept that with me for decades. Uh, so, and, But the whole thing there was, I was sad, and people would say, why don't you meditate so as not to be sad? And I'm like, no, I wanna be sad that I miss these things. Like, it's okay to be sad. That's, that's not, for me, that's not the point of meditation, is to completely avoid sadness is is just to recognize it and acknowledge that, okay, yeah, I'm sad about this. I, if, I, if I possess something I really value later on, I probably won't be so quick and easy to get rid of it, but I do feel melancholy over missing some of these things. And then um, I would say more recently, just in the past, this is years, more recently, just in the past month, I found a building I liked, and I decided to rent, and I furnished it, and everything was much more minimalist than I would ever have furnished before like I only have the bare minimum of what I I could use but I feel much more stable I felt like this wave of stabilization like mm-hmm. sweep over me once I was once I was in a home that was furnished that was mine uh, and it was really the first time I'd ever furnished got and furnished an apartment by myself and i'm forty nine years old so most people do it when you're much younger but I would always just i would always like move in with a girlfriend or move in with a wife or live in a hotel or live in airbnbs and I come from a very regular background, but even when I first moved to the city i I lived in a um very rundown hotel that was cheaper than any apartment and you know and, and so on so this is the first time I ever had it in my own apartment
0: so uh, you use the term minimalist and we've had I've had the minimalists, the the guys who have the popular podcast and the Netflix documentary on this show, and I've – actually, I'm doing a story on them on Nightline. Um, So I've spent some time with those guys, and I guess the lesson that you're – at least what I'm taking away from your story, and this doesn't run counter to what their argument is either, is that it's not that extreme minimalism is automatically the recipe for imperturbable bliss – It's that more minimalism may actually, you know, a certain amount of unburdening based on your own temperament may actually be really good for you. But if you take it too far, it can it can backfire.
1: Any any ism, if you take it too far, can can backfire. And uh, uh, I think the key is, is that it's always good to try things that you think would be useful to yourself and experiment a little bit and and then change when you're ready to change and being comfortable with that and not tying identity to to any one particular particular philosophy so yeah extreme minimalism it gave me a certain discipline that i didn't have before it uh uh it it gave me a certain philosophy about how i want to live my life now which is not quite minimalist but somewhere in between and uh And I would say overall, I'm happier as a result because now I appreciate at a much deeper level having my own place. I'm very careful about the things I let into that space. And and oddly, here's the oddest thing that I've noticed, I make my bed now. So I was always a messy person because I think I didn't value objects. And now I really value the objects in my life. And so now in the morning, I make my bed. And I'm, I'm, I've always been a messy person all my life. And I think I'm like cleaner for some reason. And I have no idea why.
0: It makes sense to me. I'm not sure I can articulate why, but it yeah. does make sense to me.
1: I don't know. I've only noticed this in the past couple of days. Like, huh, this apartment is cleaner than any apartment I've ever lived yeah. in because of
0: me. Yeah. So. so. So your new thing, which I don't think any of the listeners will see coming and I didn't see coming. So your new thing is stand up comedy.
1: Yeah, I love, I love, I've been, I first did it maybe two, uh, about two and a half years ago, and uh, I've been obsessively doing it for about a year, th- three to six times a week, um, wow. and all around the city and even outside the
0: city. What provoked you to start? I was on a... By the way, that's been a fruitless question for me this whole interview, because there are all these crazy <laughs> things you do, and then I ask you, what, why'd you start, and you don't really have, you haven't... Anyway, go ahead. Why did you start? <laughs> well, I was I was
1: on a podcast that the owner of a club was listening to, and he thought I was very funny. On the I mean, podcast. you are funny. Yeah, so thank no you very much. And
0: but but it, but you're not like Shecky a guy named Shecky from the Borscht Belt, kind of like always looking to get in a one liner type of funny.
1: No, no, because what I realized too about stand up, and, and I'm skipping around. What I realized too about stand up is that funny and humor is not the most important skill when you're starting in stand-up comedy. And we, we can get to that in a second. But um, So this, this guy asked me, why don't I go on for five minutes at the club he owned? And this was at Stand-Up New York on the Upper West Side. And I went up. I did okay, uh, in part because I had friends in the audience and they're always going to laugh at what you do. And then I went up again. I went up again uh, just to make sure it wasn't like a fluke. Turned out it was a fluke. Uh, anybody laughing at me at all was, it was totally, and then, like, that's it, just humor in almost every other part of life doesn't translate to successful stand-up comedy at all. And uh, uh, so I wanted to, suddenly I realized, oh, this is really hard, and I'm really unhappy doing this, and I want to get better at it, uh, because I love it so much. I love stand-up, I love watching stand-up comedy, And I love getting better at things. I think uh, one source of happiness is to always feel like you're improving at something. And so, and I was out of my comfort zone so much that I felt like each time I did it, I I was learning new things about where my comfort zone was, which was an amazing experience. And also there was an ancillary benefit, which didn't go the other way. So public speaking, being a good public speaker won't make, won't do anything for your stand-up comedy. Mm. But being better at stand-up comedy made me a hundred times better at public speaking, at podcasting, at a whole range of things. So there was just all these micro skills inside the umbrella of stand-up comedy that I felt like I needed to get better at. And it's been an amazing experience over the past year doing
0: it. And you've actually gone so far as to invest in a club.
1: Well, that club that actually... So I've performed all around town, but that club that actually I first went up on, I bought uh, a, a good chunk of that club.
0: And you're, you're doing this three to six nights a week? Yeah. That's a, that's an enormous investment of time.
1: Yeah, I think last week I did maybe four or five. I always try to find what are the most difficult days and times to do because I want to... I'm in it to... I'm not in it to win it. I'm in it to learn. And so I want to have uh, experiences outside of my comfort zone. So I always pick the hardest
0: the most difficult times to go on. So you're not in it to win it meaning you don't want to be I
1: don't want to be an I don't want to have a sitcom. I don't want to go on the road. I don't wanna be I don't wanna be a professional at it. I just really wanna get good at it.
0: And then once you feel you're good will you just stop?
1: I don't think I I think this is one skill you can never fully get as good as you would like at. I don't think there's any comedian out there who thinks, oh now I'm good. Uh I think there are comedians who think uh, I've put in my time and i'm i'm good enough that I could start doing other things but uh I, I i there's so many skills in it that it's just extremely complicated and I've, I've gotten good at many different skills somewhat painfully like losing all my money and then having to make it back I had to get good at a certain skill um, but uh you know making money but uh, this is by far the hardest skill I've ever had to
0: learn and and there's something kind of not kind of very uh Buddhisty about your approach to this, you're like i you don't have a s you know you don't want a special on Netflix, you don't want a comedy record just from what I can tell. You're just enjoying the process of learning.
1: I'm just enjoying the process of learning I mean, and uh and applying my own strategies like I mentioned before, the plus minus equal f- seeing if i want i wanna I'm not going to spend ten thousand hours learning this." I'm going to skip the 10,000 I'm already skipping the 10,000 hours and I'm usually by that meaning you know there's a 10,000 hour yes, rule yeah, where that. to achieve your best possible performance it's something you need to put in at least 10,000 hours.
0: Sounds like you are putting in 10,000 hours.
1: I am, but I'm going to I'm I'm also hacking it as much as possible so that I will achieve very quick performance um in a much sooner time than 10,000 hours.
0: Well what if you do get I actually kind of assume you are really good already, but just say you 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 achieve a, a level of notoriety that Netflix comes to you and says we do want to do a special with you. Oh, then I would do it. Okay, but but your happiness doesn't depend upon achieving no. that.
1: Oh, I have I have zero agenda whatsoever. But you know it's funny though now owning part of a club, uh, which by the way is a horrible investment in general. <laughs> uh, like there's better investments if you're you know a Silicon Valley kind of investor and so on. Um, not that. Not that the club is bad. The club will make money. It's just that it's not the sort of investing I'm used to doing. But um, but now I have a stage. I have comedians I have access to. I have an, an audience and a bar. I'm able to say, okay, I also have business experience. Um, I've, we've been, I also set up a mini production company and I'm shooting my own specials using this stage that I now partly own. So... I'm building up a library of content of my own that maybe I could do something with. So I'm able to always connect the dots with my prior experiences and apply this to this new experience. So when I say I'm agenda-less, I'm a less as far as my stand-up comedy. Like I want to, ju- I just love this skill so much. I want to I wanna just learn every day. But I also think to myself, okay, well, it would be interesting to do these other things around this experience
0: that I'm having. Well, you said something before about funny versus humor. I can't remember what you said. We will get back to this and I wish yeah. want to make sure we get back to it. Well,
1: well just that with stand-up comedy, people th- will say to themselves, well, I'm not funny enough or uh, uh, you have to be really funny. That's actually not the most important skill in, in let's call it short-form stand-up comedy. Like if you're going to go up for 15, 20 minutes or even 10 minutes, uh, humor is maybe the second or third most important skill. And um, I can say what the other skills higher than it are, but for also say for humor, it's not just being funny with your friends or telling one-liners. Like, telling a stand-up comedy joke, a structured, well-thought-out, intelligent stand-up comedy bit is very different than telling a joke to your friends. So there's it's much more complicated writing, it's much more complicated persona building and acting out and, and uh, you know dealing with different types of crowds um and i would say the most important skill for stand-up comedy is probably likability because let's say you go up on a stage at a conference you dan harris people are at the conference for one of three reasons they're they're there to see you so they already like you they like the title of your talk so they already like the title and so they're going to probably like the talk or they've paid for a ticket to go to this conference so they're because they've paid they're going to like you know, they, they believe in this conference. They want to learn things, and they're going to like you from that. When you go up on the stage at a stand-up comedy club, nobody knows who you are. Um, they they paid because they need people who are going to make them laugh, and 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 they don't know if you're going to ma- yet if you're going to make them laugh or not, and they're partially drunk. <laughs> so you have to become like and, and and the important thing to remember is no one is going to laugh at someone they don't like but they don't even know you. So you have to get them to somehow like you or or in some way control the situation as quickly as possible before you can even begin to think about humor. Uh, now, humor could be wrapped up in that, but likability is more important than the humor part.
0: Is is your meditation in any way useful in this context or are they completely disconnected?
1: Absolutely, it's, it's useful. Because let's say you're in the middle of your set, a 15-minute set, call it. So in New York City, everybody goes up and does 15-minute sets. Um... Let's say in the middle, you realize, oh my gosh, everybody's silent or, or they don't like me or the waitress is uh, getting drink orders so there's noise that's overriding my jokes. So you can start to feel scared or panicky or anxious and catching yourself within microseconds because the audience is an x-ray machine. They know within a microsecond, it's just a physiological thing, they know that you're not having fun so they're not going to have fun mm-hmm. either, mm-hmm. and so your experience is going to go from bad to worse.
0: And so you have a I feel regu- like this is true. Anchoring the news, too, by the way, really not necessarily having fun because a lot of the news is not fun or funny. But um, if you are nervous, you make the audience nervous.
1: I think that's very true. So the the audience can see it, mm-hmm. which I think, by the way, is the second most important skill in comedy is kind of commitment to where you are and what you're doing, regardless of what the audience is doing. So your goal has to be not to make the audience laugh, but to to make yourself laugh. And in the news, there's probably an equivalent, which is to give a message in a meaningful way that you think is informative Mm -hmm. and has value to the audience, Mm -hmm. regardless Mm -hmm. of what they think. And uh, so so that there has to be a commitment to it, because the audience can see if you're committed to what you're doing. Uh, And again, where the meditation comes in, you have to know within like a a tenth of a second if you're failing at likability, commitment, humor, you have to know really fast or if if this side of the audience is laughing and this side isn't, you have to make sure and now I'm starting to panic for some reason and you don't know why, you have to recognize it really quickly and take And and it's like in meditation, the equivalent would be getting back to the breathing and it's almost the same thing, you have to get back to breathing and you have to get back to recognizing um, I'm the one on the stage, I'm in control over here I have the microphone and the stage and whatever I'm going to do is going to be worthwhile to the audience so have you bombed a bunch oh yeah a lot a lot every everybody does yeah particularly like in my first year i've 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 say my act has switched over 500 percent since i've started like you know five times completely from beginning to end in terms of the content in terms of the content because i'm constantly testing out new stuff what works what doesn't but i one time one time i bombed so badly this is like the second or third time i did it Uh, Out of now, like maybe I don't know, five hundred times. But uh, I was heckled really brutally. Like the guy hated me. There's some guy in the audience like hated me, and and he was no matter how loud I would talk, he was speaking louder, (laughs) and I didn't have any sense at all of what was happening. Like was this the crowd? Was it just people talking to each other? But he hated me, and and the rest of the crowd was silent because he was so loud, and. The MC had to come on afterwards and say, You know, are you okay, sir? Like, can we get you free drinks for the rest of the night? And to
0: the heckler or to you? To the heckler.
1: <laughs> because you have to keep take care <laughs> oh, of that. I see. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And, or else the remaining comedians, I might have ruined it for them. Uh, uh, I see. So, uh, so that, so I actually stayed in the audience to see how she would handle the heckler and how the next comedian would handle this potential heckler. And, uh, and so I wanted to learn. And then I talked to a lot of comedians, like how do you handle hecklers? I watched on YouTube. There's YouTube compilations of all these great comedians handling hecklers. So that's a micro skill you have to learn is how do you handle different types of hecklers? Male, female, drunk, not drunk, different religions, different races. also Big audience, small audience. Hecklers mean different things. Uh,
0: so there's a lot of micro skills even in dealing with hecklers. Wow. Um, so... Last, well, second to last question. Uh, I know that was all the way off the tangent of no. It's so happier. awesome, actually. <laughs> no, this, this is a, be, a great tangent. Um, I, I just want to come back to meditation. I asked this question. I don't even know why exactly I'm asking this question, but on your meditation practice, given that it's so long standing, do, do you have? And this is a loaded term, but do you have a goal? I mean, are you trying to? Do you hope to get enlightened? I mean, given given the intensity and and sort of forensic nature with which you approach so many of the skills that you built up in your life business that like you mentioned before we started rolling that you did a lot of chess as a kid um uh stand up comedy writing do, do you do you, is there somewhere you're hoping to go with meditation i know they often say don't don't have a goal but what's your what's your mindset around it i think you know so what you just said as you kind of mentioned is
1: almost cliche there 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 is no goal there should be no goal for meditation but it's but it is just worth repeating for a second because I think many people do think about things things that they don 't necessarily know what it looks like, but they have a word for it, like enlightenment or or some sort of extra focus or concentration or whatever, some sort of benefits from it and there might be benefits from it but uh, I mean there are there are certainly certain benefits from, from from meditation that's been kind of scientifically shown you've shown in your book uh, many benefits to meditation. But I think for myself, it's it's really important for me to be, um, again, goalless because I think just as primates, we're conditioned to find some tribe where we could measure ourselves from alpha to omega. We can't help it. It's in our biology. So, so a lot of times people will, um, particularly you see this in New York City, but of course all over the place, people will judge their self-worth by their net worth. Or you mentioned... Chess, but this could happen in any endeavor where there's a ranking system, like tennis or sports or anything. People will rank themselves, and they want to. They feel depressed. They lose dopamine when their ranking goes down, and they add dopamine when their ranking goes up. Because we're 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 created in order to measure ourselves in our particular tribe, and with meditation, there really is no way to rank yourself. So people find these artificial ways to maybe maybe rank themselves, like enlightenment or non enlightenment. But I think the goal is really to just do it and see what happens and see how it affects your life. And for me, the way it affects my life the most is that I'm able to catch myself when, again, my brain or anxiety or or anger or depression or whatever veers from what I would like it to be. Like, I don't want to be anxious about anything. And if I think to myself, oh, I was so... Uh, I lost this money. Uh, I'm going to get really anxious. I'm never going to make money again. I start to go that, down that rabbit hole to be able to catch yourself as quickly as possible and be like, no, this is where I am. Perfectly fine right now, this second. And now I'm going to move forward in life. Instead of uh, you know, anxiety uh, takes energy away, I'm going to do things that give me energy. And I think meditation helps me to more quickly get back to that point where um, energy increasing instead of energy reducing. Um, now, different types of meditation, like let's say a loving, kindness, compassion type of meditation, that has a different sort of thing. Then I might have a goal, which is I want to be more loving and kind and compassionate because you train your brain to uh, revert to that experience when you're not that during the day. So I think that's a little more goal or intention-filled um, so it just depends on the kind of meditation I'm doing that day or a month or, or whatever. And I'll, I'll vary it up.
0: Is there anything I should have asked you, but didn't,
1: uh, I mean, I feel like we could probably talk. I feel like I should ask you how, <laughs> how last time we saw each other was about a year ago after yeah. your meditation app, uh, started. Are you, you know, by the way, your book is called 10% happier percentages compound. So yes. Yes. have you felt compounding happiness?
0: Yes, for, for sure. I I often say the 10% compounds annually. You you just get – you are building these skills, but you mentioned a few of them, uh, kindness and compassion, but also focus and mindfulness. You're building these skills, and I think you just get better and better at them over time. That doesn't mean that the vicissitudes of life don't reassert themselves. I'm actually just writing a little – Thing right now about how I reacted when my kid jumped off a couch and and landed headfirst on the coffee table and had to take him to the ER. I mean, like, stuff he like okay? that, he's fine, he's got a big scar in his head,
1: but uh, and I hope you didn't use the word vicissitudes in that article. <laughs>
0: well, it's, it may be for the New York Times and I think they'll be okay with vicissitudes, but I don't know if i uh, I might put it in there now just on our review um but 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 I you know things like that are still gonna happen, and much worse, and so it's not to say that you build these skills and um nothing bad happens and you're just on this glide path toward right. uh some bubble of bliss. It's more just that you learn how to handle life's ups and downs better. I think I feel pretty confident that. That, that I'm on that trajectory.
1: Yeah, and and the resilience you build, like I'm able to like for instance if I the, the, put it this way, the last time I lost all of my money, I was able to much more quickly within hours instead of years get to a point where okay, I'm not anxious about this at all at the moment wow. and I'm just going to I'm just going to move forward like like I always do and apply my own advice. And do what I always say I'm going to do. So, I, I think I think you're right. It does compound, and people underestimate the power of that compounding. Like if you improve, let's say, one percent a day at something, that's thirty eight hundred percent a year. It's uh-huh. thirty eight times better, or thirty nine times better in a year, uh, and that's in, that's incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, something really. Uh, my meditation. My meditation teacher Joseph Goldstein talks about the. The dangers of having what he calls practice assessment tapes, like running these tapes in your head of like, how good is my practice right now? Am I getting uh, enough out of it? He talks about how when he was a kid, his parents taught him how to garden, but he kept ripping up the carrots to see how they were doing, you know, ripping them out of the ground, which of course is totally counterproductive. I think there's a certain amount of faith, for lack of a better term. You just got to keep doing the practice, even if you don't see a benefit on a day-to-day basis and just trust that time and nature will kind of do its thing. People have been doing this for millennia and there's a reason why they've been doing it it for millennia. And I think just continuing to do it, um, I found makes sense for me. And over time, every once in a while, the benefits will kind of reassert themselves powerfully in my face. And other times I'm just doing the practice and I don't know if it's working.
1: And, and, you know, one way is you find that there's you use meditation in some ways to expand your comfort zone, because I think it could be used for that as well. Yes. Like sometimes you're in an uncomfortable situation, like after your son hurt his head, medita- meditating then is going to take you out of your comfort zone. Your Your brain wants to react to an emergency, yes. and you're telling your brain, hey, a lion's not chasing us, my son's being taken care of. It's good. It's a way to kind of... You're outside of your comfort zone, but it's a way to train yourself in this difficult situation to not be as excitable or anxious as we would have been 40,000 years ago.
0: Yep, that's exactly right.
1: And, you know, do you find, uh, uh, well, I, I had another question for you, but now I, I completely forgot what it is. <laughs> but well, well, my, my powers of focus have, <laughs> have been eliminated.
0: <laughs> well, well, before, before we close here, where, if people want, We talked about some of your books and we talked about your podcast, but let's just go through it again. If people want to get more information about you, connect to the things you're doing, can you just, like, give us everything? Yeah. Uh, JamesAltucher.com. And what else? Where else? Uh, Obviously, the podcast. Yeah, so the podcast is The James Altucher Altucher
1: Show. And... uh, uh, my phone number is two zero three five one two two one six one. If you want to call me, although I never
0: pick it up, but you could text me. Are you kidding? No. You, you is this you regularly release your phone number like this? Or is no, this I just did it right here. All right. Well, that was awesome. You are awesome. Thank, Thank you, so Dad. Much. Thanks
1: so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I, I'll, I'll I can't wait to you come back on to my podcast.
0: We'll just keep ping ponging, man.
1: Excellent. Thanks.
0: If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.
2: If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know, with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving fifteen percent on Delta flights. You know, kissing under the bridge of size guarantees eternal love because you're the long distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know takeoff 15 discount not applicable to partner operated flights or taxes and fees terms apply visit go.amx you know hey grown-ups the cat in the hat cast is a new podcast from wondery perfect for the whole family join the cat in the hat and your favorite dr seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast